That's something to learn, isn't it? How great thou art. So then, it's the final lap of the series. For those of you who missed out on the first four parts, do not worry. We can take it up at this point at the final lap of the series about the culture of honour. Do you remember I read a book? <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. It was a sabbatical and it was a year ago and I'm still banging on about it, but there we go. And the book was largely focusing on the passage from Ephesians that I believe Edna's already at least read once before, haven't you, in similar circumstances. And it talks about the fivefold ministry. Let's hear it for the very last time for a little while, although a visiting preacher might do it soon. So let's hear this reading, Edna, from Ephesians, which talks about that ministry, that fivefold ministry. And we're looking this morning at the final of those um, callings. Thank you. is from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 to 16. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is head, who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thank you, Edna, for that reading from God's Word. So for those of you who missed it before, I'm not going to now praise you the previous four weeks that I've done this over the last year or so, um, but I'm just, just looking at the title of the book which was inspired by that um, passage, The Culture of Honour, just to explain very, very briefly that this is talking, this whole series has been talking about how we as church, to be a living and vibrant church, need to have that culture of honour where we respect and encourage and grow all of those fivefold ministries. We need each of those. We need apostles, who are the people who knew, do new things from God and, and, and kind of listen to God and responsive to him. The prophets who are kind of speaking forth the word of God and, and listening to bringing heaven, if you like, down to earth. And then evangelists who are, who are speaking out for God and encouraging people to draw near to him. And pastors who are kind of holding everybody together and, and helping and hoping to encourage and, and to, to build people up. And teachers that's where we're at. We haven't done that one. I'm sure we all have in our own minds an analysis of what a teacher is and what is, we looked at over previous weeks, the particular mindset of a teacher. We all have an understanding of that. I come from a whole family of teachers. My mum's a teacher, my sister's a teacher, my dad's a teacher, and now my son is training and almost finished to be a teacher. So I come from a family of teachers, so I have kind of ideas of what teachers are. However, we cannot stereotype. 
which is similar perhaps to what Danny Silk has done. He looks at teachers as being people who dig deep into stuff. When you've been perhaps at a Bible study group or an alpha group or something like that, the people who have the teacher's mindset are kind of analysing things and trying to find out stuff. And then once they've learnt it, they will perhaps teach and share it with others. But Danny Silk explains the mindset of all these fivefold, these different callings of God, by saying, what if it were like at a car crash scene? How would those particular people respond? And the final one is this, the teacher. How would a teacher respond when faced with a car crash scene? He studies the situation in order to figure out what caused the accident. He steps back notices the pattern of the skid marks and the distance each car moved before and after impact, and estimates the speed of each car at the point of impact. Drawing from his deep knowledge of the driver's manual and traffic laws, he develops a theory about who was at fault. His conclusion is that, overall, drivers need more training and would be likely to benefit from mandatory classes and continuing educational requirements. That would be, according to Danny Silk, the emphasis of teachers. You could perhaps take that slightly with a pinch of salt because I can think of many different teachers who've got rather different mindsets, but most of them do want to dig deep, partly if only inspired by the awkward questions that they might be asked and they need to know the answers, so they need to investigate and find out more. Throughout the Bible, it is true to say that teaching and teachers are a priority. Exodus 35.30, which is pretty early on in the Bible, talks about God setting up the tabernacle and making sure that there are teachers there. God chose Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding and with knowledge and with all kinds of skills. And both he and Holiab, son of Ashimach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability, this is where we get to the nub of the matter, to teach others. He inspired teachers right at the very beginning, before the temple, the tabernacle, he inspired people to teach. Also, in the wisdom of Solomon's Proverbs, he says, teach a child the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. If only it were completely true. But however, obviously, it's good, isn't it, to do that because they won't lose all of it is basically what he's saying. But that is the wisdom partial of Solomon. I love also in Deuteronomy 32.2 where Moses waxes lyrical about, well, on behalf of God, about teachers or teaching. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew like showers on new grass. So, when teachers, I mean, that's a very quick kind of whiz through, in danger of a car crash there, but whiz through the Bible on some of the references, there are absolutely loads and loads and loads of references on teaching. Teachers and teaching, we can all conclude, are good and inspirational when they are good. But when they're not, it goes horribly wrong. Can you think perhaps of some teaching that you've received yourself that's, well, either teachers who are not really very good. I can remember one of my teachers when I was a child who taught me maths, which perhaps 
gives some kind of reason why my mathematical ability is so bad. I was in the top set for maths, but this guy, this is before we had Ofsted, this guy used to sit at the front of the classroom. He, we all had books, and we had to just get on with it. He used to sit in the front of the classroom with his feet on the desk, reading the Sun newspaper, and says, do that bit, and if you've got any problems, just come up and ask me. And then when he went up and asked him, because he always had problems, I mean, what, who wouldn't, because I wasn't very good with maths at all, he always had problems, he'd go up to the blackboard, sorry, the board with chalk, and he'd go, got it? And we hadn't got a clue. It was just, to me, it was complete gibberish. Not a good teacher, hence my lack of ability with maths. I blame him, but that's perhaps not entirely true. I perhaps didn't start from a very good point. But we've all got examples of that, where teaching is just not good. Then again, we have examples, haven't we, of good teachers. You can remember I had this wonderful teacher called Mrs. Kane. Everybody loved Mrs. Kane. She taught history. Sadly, the next year, the history teacher wasn't so good, so the inspiration kind of, the Jew kind of dried out slightly. But she was a brilliant teacher, and everybody that year loved history. We can all remember teachers like that. False teachers, let's get back to the bad ones, because we like to emphasise this. False teachers are slated by Jesus, aren't they, in the Bible? Matthew 23, 27 and 33. Woe to you, teachers of the law and of Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones and indeed and everything. Bones of the dead even. And that's my writing. Teaching probably of English wasn't that good for me. Bones of the dead and everything unclean. You snakes, it goes on to say. You brood of vipers talking about teachers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? That's actually quite tough from Jesus on false teachers. And again, more condemnation on bad or false teaching in Luke 17 verse 1. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. I suppose that's not just about teaching, that's about kind of bad behaviour that actually is a bad example. But we teach, don't we, in many ways. It's not just through saying stuff, it's through doing stuff. And in our lives and in our actions, we can be bad teachers, can't we? Because we're teaching people stuff that actually isn't a good example. So do not be like those false teachers by those bad examples who really should be thrown into the sea. Ephesians 4.14, which we've just heard read, also talks about teaching. We're not to be like infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people, and by their deceitful scheming. That, obviously, is a sign of how they were having hassle in the early church with people teaching stuff that wasn't right about God. And that kind of blew people in the wrong direction and put them off. God. Peter also warns in his second letter, there will be, not only now, but there will be false teachers amongst you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord. So there's lots of bad teaching in the Bible. There's lots of good teaching in the Bible. And if you remember Jesus' ministry, which I hope you do, hopefully you had good teaching on that, 
he was blighted by the merry trio of scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law with the odd tax collector thrown in. The main objection that Jesus had to these bad teachers was that they seemed to be obsessed with legalism, not love. They're obsessed with religion and ritual, not relationship. Jesus summed up the greatest commandment as being love, not legalism, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's not scratching about with laws and legalistic stuff. He's saying the most important thing is your love of God. And out of that, and your love for your neighbor, will flow the right behavior. That actually is a core teaching that we need to remember. I suppose really that teaching was far too straightforward and simple for the teachers of the law. It could have done them without a job, couldn't it? Because really their main objective in life was scratching stuff and and trying to find out added bits of, of layers of teaching that would perhaps very often put people off, but lead them to be dependent on them, the teachers themselves. Bad teaching in Jesus' day then had an emphasis, an overemphasis on the letter of the law rather than love. And 11, Luke 11, 46, Jesus warns, Woe to you, experts in the law, because you load people down with burdens they can barely carry, and you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. So what Jesus is saying is, is actually... Head knowledge is one thing, and sometimes that can be so distorted because you create this kind of web of legalism around it. But actually, what's most important is your heart knowledge, your relationship with me, your relationship with the Father, and your relationship with one another. That actually is what you really need to learn. And that's what Nathan and Kyle and and Lee were were emphasizing, weren't they? And people emphasizing, and, and Ron this morning, that love of God and love of your neighbor being crucial. Danny Silk the man who wrote the book, says that a good teacher just doesn't need to say it. They need also to live it. And Jesus was, as many people have pointed out, the ultimate, the best good teacher. And he didn't just tell people stuff. He demonstrated stuff as well. He was, as they say in America, you know the show and tell thing that children go to school and do that. He was the ultimate example of show and tell. He said stuff and then he gave living examples of it. He preached about healing and then he healed people. He preached about miracles and then he performed miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he preached about forgiveness and then he lived it and he died it for people. And right from the very beginning, his first sermon, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit to say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And not only did he say it, but he then went on to do it. He had a manifesto that actually he followed What an example that would be to our politicians. Don't even get me on politicians being involved in education. However, that's perhaps James's little focus as well. Oh, don't, no, let's get back to the sermon. Jesus then taught, didn't he, about how, about how you don't just say stuff, 
but you actually have the authority of God to do stuff in his name. He demonstrated what they called the signs of the kingdom that he preached about, and people observed that. It says in Mark 22 about how they were amazed at his teaching as he taught as somebody who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. But the wonderful thing for us is that Jesus, if he calls us to be teachers, also gives us that same authority through the Holy Spirit. We read, don't we, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 16, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore. And what he does in that therefore is, is he passes on that authority to us. Therefore, go in my name, he's saying, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, teaching them to obey. And it's the idea that, that they receive that teaching and they're obedient. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and I will be with you. Is it like the, the ultimate um, kind of tutor who comes to observe. Now, for teachers, person who comes into your lesson to observe is not a good thing. But Jesus comes alongside you, not to be critical and, and to say, oh, you should have done it better that way, but actually to be an encourager, to actually be an empower and to equip her to actually help you to minister in his name and to teach in his name. To actually teach with that authority, we need to, and I'm coming back to the book title again and again, to live in the culture of honour that Danny Silk talks about. We need to encourage and nurture the apostolic and prophetic giftings to release the presence and the power of God and to anoint others with those gifts. What he's saying is... You know, it said about the culture of honour, having apostles, having prophets, having evangelists, teachers and pastors, or the other way around. But having those five, actually, for teachers to be equipped, we need all of those five. Because the apostles and prophets, they kind of like open up the door for the Holy Spirit, open up the door for heaven to come down. And the problem is, Danny says, is that very often teachers have been seen in their own little bubble. They're like teachers without resources. Student teachers amongst us will know what that feels like. <laughs> teachers without resources, you have to go and teach all about this and then you have to learn about it really, really quickly. But what he's saying is, if we work together as a church community, you will not be a teacher without resource. You will not be a teacher without the Holy Spirit. You will not be the teacher without authority because the apostles and the prophets will be listening to God for you and equipping you and encouraging you and praying for you to have that anointing upon your teaching. And something of the indication of that as to how that happens can be seen in our re next reading. Bruce, I have not forgotten you. Well, I almost did. Because in our next reading, it says about the order of things. Shall we hear from Corinthians about actually there is a specific order in this reading that helps to equip those on number three on the list? Thank you, Bruce. Well, reading from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 27 31. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. 
And in the church of God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater, greater gifts. Amen. So there is an order. Number one, apostles, number two, prophets, and number three, teachers. Well, not number three, in that list is teachers. And what it's saying is that we actually need the first two to inspire and to equip. The apostles and prophets are needed to, to open up the flow from heaven. And then the teachers are needed to actually explain what happened. It's rather like, you know, at Pentecost, when, when all of these things are going on, then somebody stands up, doesn't he? He stands up and preaches, and he says, this is what's happening. Do not worry. Do not be concerned. This is what happens. And it's rather like Soul Survivor when we're there, and, and there's all sorts of Holy Spirit stuff going on, and, and then there's, there's a Mike Pillar actually standing up saying, don't worry. Don't worry. This is what's happening. And he's teaching. He's not the one who's kind of moving things on. He's not the one where the Holy Spirit is. He's not the, the Holy Spirit-led kind of apostle and prophet, in that, and, and prophet in that sense. He's the one who's teaching people and explaining explaining what's happening. That's important, that they explain and analyze and describe. And then we've also got, haven't we, later on, we've got pastors and evangelists, and those are focused on the people. But all of them work together in that culture of honor to create the flow. And I'll just give you the final funnel example, which I've given right through this series. The idea that all of those different giftings, and we mentioned more, didn't we, in that reading, those miracles, wasn't there? And those helps and those admin, all sorts of different things in many lists of gifts throughout the Bible. That it's rather like all of these different things, and particularly those fivefold ministry, are rather like bits of creating that are needed to create a funnel. And there's nuts and there's bolts and there's bits of metal work and stuff. They're all put together and then that funnel is created so that heaven can flow down and anoint and equip whatever people need to do the work that God gives them. And if that funnel is created, if we work together in that culture of honour, what then happens? We can, it says in that passage in Ephesians again, all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you want that? Do you want that maturity? Do you want that fullness of Christ? Because you don't have to have it. You can get out the way of the funnel if you like. But that opportunity is there if we work and if we function as a kingdom people of God that he wants us to be. And, and I, just one example of, of teaching without the anointing is the Alpha Course without the Holy Spirit Day. Who here has been on an Alpha, Spirit, uh, Alpha Course? That some churches do the Alpha Course and they say, we like all of that because it teaches and explains stuff. And it gets things in there. But we don't want that Holy Spirit day. Oh, no, no, no. That's far too extreme. And what they're doing is they're having the knowledge without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that's 
horribly, horribly wrong. That's actually false teaching because we need the whole thing. We need all of those fivefold anointed ministries to actually be a growing church. So just as we reflect about the whole series, really, as we reflect thinking about the apostolic gifting, being able to be open to help those new things to happen for God, as we think about the prophetic, seeing things as God sees them and, and sharing them, maybe pictures, maybe words, maybe Bible reasons, maybe whatever God's sharing, speaking that out for God, being an evangelist, sharing the good news with others, pastor, that care and, and that reaching out into the community, but also within our own fellowship, caring and, and loving one another as Jesus loves us. But also as we think about those teaching gifts, are there any of those particular areas where those mindsets are things where you think, yes, that's something I think God may be calling me to? What is God's call upon your life? Maybe it's something different. Maybe it's music. Maybe, Adam, you'd like to get to the microphone and, and just begin, and Brian, just begin to start playing as we reflect on this. Maybe it's the gift of music. Maybe it's the gift of healing Maybe it's helping. There's lots of helping people in this fellowship. Maybe hospitality. Maybe to be an encourager. Maybe it's involved in children's work or, or work with the elderly, whatever that gift is. Let us just get Brian and Adam just to play quietly and then lead us in a moment in singing our next song. But let us pray quietly. It's just to reflect and ask God what perhaps he might be calling us to do afresh for him. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. We pray, Lord, that you will speak to each one of us. As to whether we are in the calling that you have asked us to be obedient to or whether there's something more there's something different maybe Lord that we've never responded to you before and, and saw what you want us to do and how you want us to serve you but we pray that as we come into this place and as we respond in a moment in worshipping you in song speak Lord your servants begin to sing. Just invite you at the end of the service. There will be an opportunity to pray with somebody. If you come and, and gather by the cross at the end of the service and if you want to be prayed for, do feel free to do that. But now let us respond to God. I'll sing and stand and worship God.